Today's episode of Something to Wrestle with, Bruce Pritchard, is brought to you by our friends at Macaloon Productions. Specifically, it's come hell or high water tonight. I'm going to be there and you should be too. It's happening right here in Atlanta. I'm already in town by the time you're hearing this. And for the first time ever, professional wrestling is coming to the host city where the NFL holds their big game. What everybody's talking about all over social media is SCU in full force. We're talking Frankie Kazarian and Christopher Daniels taking on the Lucha brothers, Pentagon jr. And Ray Phoenix, a couple world champs in there. And of course, Scorpio sky is going to take on that prick MJF. But on the undercard is where you've got lots of fun stuff going. I can't wait to see. Sure, you've got super talent like Joey Ryan and Penelope Ford and Matt Cross. But dude, how about Glacier? And for the first time in over 20 years, the return of the Yeti, one of my personal favorites, the man Eddie Kingston's going to be there, Simon Grimm. Tons of names you know on this, and it's right here in Atlanta. You can pick up your tickets right now. Just go to eventbrite.com and search for Hell or High Water. Now, if it's too last minute to get to Atlanta, I get it. Join them live on fight.tv for just $9.99. Come hell or high water, pro wrestling infiltrates the NFL's biggest event, and it happens tonight in Atlanta. I'm here, and you should be too. Come hell or high water on Eventbrite, or under 10 bucks right now at fight.tv. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Well, you know, that's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. You, Bruce. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Hello, Conrad. I'm just fabulous, man. I'm glad to hear it because I am looking forward to today. It feels like we've talked about this gentleman in every possible way, except giving him his own episode. We're talking about the late great gorilla monsoon today. Of course, we've touched on gorilla with primetime wrestling and couldn't possibly do a Bobby Heenan episode without touching on gorilla. And we're going to do that again today, but first let's circle back and talk about what we covered last week. Psycho Sid, AKA Sid justice, lots of interesting feedback and, uh, a lot of news sites even picked up your comments because there's been tons of rumor and innuendo around Sid and softball. What was the feedback that you got about the, uh, the one and only Sid? Well, you know what I got a lot of, which was interesting, is Sid as Lord Humongous in Memphis with uh, Mark Calloway, with Mean Mark, or whatever, the Punisher, whatever the hell it was. I must have gotten three, four dozen of the same clip, and people, most of the people were intrigued by the Lord Humongous deal that I picked up on more than anything. But let me ask you this. What did you think of the show? What did Conrad think of last week's show? Well, Sid's always been a guilty pleasure for me. And, and after, uh, the show, I managed to find the promo that I just absolutely loved of Sid that was done 
the morning of Royal Rumble 97 in an empty Alamo dome with JR in the middle of the ring. And there was just something about the way he delivered it. That was just so believable. I'm just a super Sid Mark for lack of a better word. So I've wanted to cover it for a long time. You know, it is sort of interesting to think about because I, I like to think that Sid was around a lot longer than he really was. Uh, and I think some people probably thought, oh, it's a Sid show. It's going to be seven hours, but really he wasn't around all that long, especially when you were there and, uh, his end and stop and start. And it was an interesting story. I dug it. I thought it was a good show and I'm glad we finally got to talk about Sid. Yeah. It's interesting because when we finish up the shows, you and I sometimes go, Oh, it was a good show or, eh, I don't know about that. One of the audience loves it. I got the feeling the audience liked this one. I didn't really have a feel for it at the end of the show last week when we finished up, but I think that we, like you said, we covered it as best that we could. And Sid is one of those guys that you're right. he wasn't really around that long of a time when you put it back in perspective, but what an impact that son of a bitch had that people still remember the time that he was in the spotlight. Yeah. And, and it's fun because I had just recently watched, uh, Sid and Shawn Michaels at survivor series. And then very recently I watched Sid and Chris Benoit at sold out 2000. And I remember thinking, I think I may have just in the last week or so watched Sid's two best matches ever. And it was just good timing for that episode. And it's good timing. If you've been with us on Patreon as well, because right here at the end of the month, every month, we always throw up some bonus content and January's bonus content was a sit down with you and Jerry Briscoe and then you and JBL. Uh, it's uh, a pretty fun little deal that you managed to put together there. Plus a weekly Q and a, if you haven't already go check out patreon.com forward slash something to wrestle. Bruce is putting up lots of content there and you're going to get all the content you can shake a stick at. This Saturday, tomorrow, February 2nd, we're going to be right there in Hotlanta, our very first trip to Atlanta, and we're going to be at the Punchline Comedy Club. And uh, you were sort of shocked when I told you that, hey, I think I have a commitment from a pretty big name. Did you ever think that that person would wind up at one of our shows for real? Never. And they, they, they told me that. They said that they would never show up at one of the shows, and I couldn't make them. And I've invited him to pretty much every live show that we've ever done. It's kind of like Ricky Bobby leaving tickets for his dad at the front gate. And by God, I think he's going to come by and pick up those free tickets this Saturday and show up and come up on stage and have a little fun. Well, hopefully he doesn't have to scalp them because that's what happens in Ricky Bobby. But tickets are on sale now and they're like 35 bucks. I don't know why you wouldn't do this. It's going to be the best thing that happens in Atlanta all weekend. I haven't heard about anything else happening. Have you? No, it's, uh, I've heard that there's going to be everything going on, like right around two, three o'clock at the punchline with us being live and in living color. What, what else could possibly be going on? You know, I don't know. Well, I say that, I guess I should let everybody know, especially if you're in Atlanta tonight on Friday night. The rumor in innuendo is there's a, a pretty big show going on. Uh, our main man, uh, McAloon productions put together. Well, something people are going to be talking about. It's called come hell or high water. And, uh, SCU's there, Frankie Kazarian and Christopher Daniels. They're going to take on Pentagon jr. And Ray Phoenix. And you never know who might show up. Tickets are on sale now on Eventbrite. So if you haven't already go to eventbrite.com and 
and type in come hell or high water. Tonight is an indie show. Everybody's going to be talking about, uh, it's so big that even I'm going, so make it happen, man. This is going to be fun. And we're going to have a ton of fun March 1st at the Mohegan sun in Connecticut. Uh, Eric Bischoff's going to be there. You're going to be there. We're calling it something to wrestle with 83 weeks. And about a week ago or so there was lots of rumor and innuendo that the show was canceled or it was postponed or it was changing venues. None of that's happening. It's the exact same time at the exact same place at the exact same venue. It always was with the exact same players. March 1st, Mohegan Sun, Bruce Pritchard, Eric Bischoff, and you've been working on a very special guest. I have, and I'm not going to make any promises, but it's, it was offered up to me at the, this, this past weekend while we were all in Arizona and, uh, who knows it's in Connecticut. So you never know who might just show up. Hmm. Hmm. Tickets are on sale. Now, Bruce You can pick up those tickets for Atlanta or Connecticut. They're on sale right now. And don't forget crown point, Indiana, March 9th, Cleveland, Ohio, March 10th, a ton more stuff coming, including there's rumor in innuendo that you and I might be doing a show the Monday after WrestleMania, right after raw, that maybe me and you and her might her, be getting together. Did you hear that same Did, rumor? I, I, you know what? I don't deal in rumor and innuendo, but you asked me a question and I, I'll answer in that I have heard that particular rumor and also we may have some other shows uh, a little bit earlier before WrestleMania and all the festivities get underway in the New York area. So stay tuned and we'll probably be announcing all of that next week, right here on the show. And of course, Bruce is going to Australia. BrucePritchard.com has your take a hookup for all this. Let's get to why we're really here. Robert Morella born June 4th, 1937 in Rochester, New York. Uh, he's obviously a legend in the wrestling business. His friends often refer to him as Gino. I know you've always referred to him as Gino, at least to me for fans that grew up in the eighties. And those of us who grew up watching the WWF and what I would call the golden era gorilla was really the iconic voice that called so many of those magic moments that we all remember so well, Hulk Hogan and Andre, the giant at WrestleMania three, and everybody knows his famous line. And along with Bobby Heenan and Jesse Ventura, I mean, they're I mean, that's a pair of the most legendary broadcast teams of all time. But before all of that happened, which is really how I became familiar with him, uh, he was a standout athlete in both high school and college. And of course, a professional wrestler. Did uh, you ever talk to Gino about his amateur athletic days? Yeah, he was what we would call a stud back in the day. Gorilla was an all-American wrestler collegiate athlete went to Syracuse university and was sought after by pretty much any college that had wrestling in it. But gorilla being from the New Jersey area, Philadelphia area, gorilla wanted to stay in the Northeast and he liked the Syracuse program and went on and was one of their top heavyweights ever. Um, he was an all American and just an all around stud and a badass. Then he found out that, uh, you can actually make money doing this shit. So he went into the professional wrestling game as we call it. It's pretty wild because I don't think about gorillas being an amateur wrestler, but in 59, he comes in second in the NCAA wrestling championships and actually held a, a school rec record there at Ithaca 
Uh, for the fastest pin. Ithaca. I said Syracuse. I beg your pardon. Um, 18 seconds there in Ithaca, which was a record for a long time. And he even represented the U S at a national team, uh, meet where there were several international meets for Greco Roman wrestling, which was, uh, his trade at the time. It's, uh, it's kind of cool to think that he was just maybe a couple of wins away from making the Olympic team in 60, but it didn't happen. He didn't get there, but he is one of the largest athletes around at the time, probably six foot five and three fifty when he first went to college. And with that size and weight, you start to develop some bad knees eventually. And uh, I think he would say that probably is what hindered his professional football career, but it didn't keep him from earning, uh, degrees in both physical education and physiotherapy and even making the Dean's list. And that probably doesn't surprise a lot of people who grew up on his commentary because he couldn't help himself, but use all kinds of ways and descriptors for body parts that, uh, me as a kid, I had never heard before, but it sure did sound official when gorilla said it. <laughs> and, and frankly, I had never heard any of it before. And I think a lot of times gorilla would just make words up that sounded complicated and sounded very sophisticated that no one would argue with him on the meaning of such words because we didn't have the education to argue that. And he sounded like he came from a place of knowledge. So you believed it. After college, he becomes a teacher in Rochester, New York. And, uh, not too terribly long after that, he catches the eye of a New York wrestling promoter, Pedro Martinez, and eventually becomes a pro wrestler. I can't imagine. Gino being your professor, that would have been something wild. He starts his wrestling career as Gino Morella, and he debuted at the Rochester War Memorial Auditorium, which is a building he actually worked on over college break or summer breaks in college. Uh, that card where he debuts has 6,000 fans there. And a lot of that is because, well, people have heard about this crazy character, Gino Morella. Uh, he gets off to a fast start. He's always high on the cards just because of his athletic ability and most of all his size. And it's probably hard to imagine, especially for somebody like myself, who was just familiar with him as a much older man, that he was quite the legitimate athlete and it showed in his in-ring work. Yeah. He could throw drop kicks at 350 pounds. There wasn't probably wasn't too many guys that could push him to his limit in a legitimate shoot in a real fight. And Gorilla would let guys know right away, a lot of those old timers, the old time shooters, as soon as you would get in the ring with them, they'd let you know that I could do anything to you anytime I want, kid. And Gorilla had that reputation of being able to manhandle his smaller opponents and had a reputation for doing so if things got out of hand. It's pretty wild to think about that a guy his size was a baby face because in the 80s, they probably would have made him a monster heel. And he certainly wrestled like that. He had a lot of squash matches that were a, a minute or two. And some of that is because Gino's actually nearsighted and that's going to hinder him in the ring. Maybe a little bit early in his career. He's wrestling in cities like Rochester, Buffalo, Cleveland, and he even makes some shots in Ontario for Frank Tunney, which, wow, what a small world it is. Um, in my research, I found that he actually made a trip to Japan in the spring of 1963 in one of the early world league tournaments that was promoted by Ricky Dozan 
as the youngest, and he's the youngest foreigner on this tour. And listen to some of the names who are here. Killer Kowalski, Pat O'Connor, Haystacks Calhoun, Cowboy Bob Ellis. Man, the good old days of professional wrestling, is it not? Yeah, it really was. And it was also, when you think about it, in 1963, it's not that far removed from a time that the Japanese looked at the Americans as the worst people in the world. They dropped two bombs on them, on their country. And the American talent, whenever they would go to Japan, were always they were always viewed as the heels, no matter what it was. But to go over with that caliber of talent, a Killer Kowalski and a Pat O'Connor, people like that, that were big names here in the States. They were big names all throughout Canada, but huge in Japan. And they would go over and because of Gorilla's size made him an even bigger star because just by stature, the, the Japanese were smaller. They, they just were smaller in stature. So he was a giant among men over in Japan and made a lot of money quite quickly with uh, Ricky Dozan. I do want to, um, mention that this tour is where he earns the nickname, the white elephant and the human typhoon. And the tour is probably most notable because giant Baba returns from the U S and has a, a notable spot here where monsoon actually gets to use the giant swing on Baba, which is pretty incredible. Is it not? Yeah, it is because Baba was a big man in and of himself. Baba was like six eight, nine, maybe six, 10. He was a, he was a giant as well. And they, they worked well together and people, I think of the younger generation, they remember Shohai Baba as the older gentleman that could barely move in the ring. But back in his day, man, Baba could go too. So you had two big giants colliding in the ring and they had a lot of mutual respect for one another. And I, I would dare say that in many ways it was Gorilla Monsoon who helped make Giant Baba the attraction that he later became in Japan. You know, um, when we're talking about Giants here and him being an attraction, is one of the largest wrestlers you've ever seen, even if you've never seen him in real life, not the Yeti or the Yete, Ron Reese? Uh, big guy. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, Ron, the problem with Ron was, is Ron was kind of hunched over. So if Ron had just stood up straight, yes, one of the largest men I've ever been around in my life. He's, uh, hypothetically, he's in Atlanta tonight. Come hell or high water. The return of the Yeti 20 years later. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, you should come Bruce. Uh, tickets just, are on sale at eventbrite.com. You just type in hell or high water and there, there they are. Well, just watching him walk to the ring will be interesting. <laughs> it will, especially if Hulk Hogan's in there. I mean, you don't know what's, well, I guess you do know what's going to happen. So when Gino goes to work for McMahon, he becomes known as gorilla monsoon, which was a play off of his Japanese nickname, the human typhoon. Did Gino ever talk to you about how he felt being sort of nicknamed gorilla monsoon here? You know, gorilla told me the story that the old man, Vince senior looked at him and just said, you're going to be gorilla monsoon <laughs> without a whole lot of, without a whole lot of discussion and Gino, not really thinking that much of it. Just, this is how it is. He was still young in the wrestling business. Everybody wants to work New York. 
So it was like, okay, you know, and he was the boss, so I'll be Gorilla Von soon and I'll go out and, and they encouraged him to grow, um, a beard, but I don't think on his best day that Gino could have grown a mustache. So that's why you got the, in those early pictures, Monsoon had just this full beard, but no mustache and to make him more gorilla ish, if you will. Let's talk about, um, Haystacks Calhoun at this point, he's probably the only guy bigger than gorilla in wrestling, right? I'm talking about just physically. I mean, Andre, the giant is obviously another level, but beyond that, Haystacks Calhoun, then Gorilla, probably? Uh, yeah, probably so. There was another guy uh, in Texas and kind of in the South named Happy Humphrey that was another big guy. Haystacks was probably, well, I, Haystacks wasn't probably. He was a much better worker than Happy Humphrey, but he was just a big guy. Monsoon was big and tall as well, but Monsoon was also skilled, whereas Haystacks was much more of an attraction. Haystacks was the giant attraction that people came to kind of ooh and ah at his size. And then the way that he worked the match, the match was worked around. Can someone get Haystacks off of his feet? And just trying to bump all around Haystacks. Monsoon could actually work. But size-wise, they matched up Haystacks a little shorter, but one hell of an attraction back in the day, even up until the 70s. Bobby Davis is the manager of Buddy Rogers, and he actually uh, is trying to bring in a long line of huge monster heels to challenge Bruno San Martino, who had just beaten Buddy Rogers for the WWF championship. And Rogers is largely on the shelf due to heart problems. So this gives Bobby Davis something to do. And, and Monsoon is introduced through a storyline where they say that, um, Davis was traveling, uh, looking for the legend of this Neanderthal. And he discovers a six foot seven, 400 pound man nude in a stream. And he didn't know any English, but somehow through an interpreter, he convinces this man to come with him to the United States and destroy the legendary Antonio Rocca in less than three minutes. And ta-da! Gorilla Monsoon debuts. Yes, the Manchurian, just, uh, God, what they wanted to call him, the Manchurian monster or something along those lines. So I know that Gorilla was pleased with Gorilla Monsoon versus the Manchurian monster. That was during the time that guys didn't have to do promos and it certainly wasn't like it was is today with social media, what have you. So gorilla was able to keep his mouth shut. People thought that there, he was this Manchurian monster legit. Who was it, supposed of English, who was supposedly born on an isolated farm who traveled with uh, a gypsy caravan of wrestling bears and spoke no English and ate raw meat and was drink his poor victim's blood. I mean, it's, it's that a, part's true. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm sure you witnessed it many times, right? Yeah. That part's definitely true. Uh, gorilla and Bruno's first match against each other was sort of thrown together. Meltzer would write San Martino was scheduled to have a long awaited title rematch against Rogers who had won the title on May 17th, 1963 in 48 seconds in Madison square garden before a sellout crowd of more than 18,000 fans. There are disputes as to whether or not Rogers suffered a heart attack. 
That's the story Rogers claimed to many people, including myself, that he'd suffered the heart attack shortly before the first San Martino match and went to the ring and just got it over with within seconds. And San Martino has always claimed the story wasn't true, that commissioned doctors would not have allowed him in the ring if that were the case. Did you ever hear this rumor that maybe Buddy had a heart attack, or did you just assume that was not the case? Well, hate to speak ill of the dead, but I... I heard, I heard the story. Everybody heard the story back in the time. There were always two camps that believed that Buddy just didn't want to do the job and he wanted to have a legit excuse. And a lot of times back in the day, you would have these underlying stories so that people had an out, so that a guy could have an out. Dory Funk Jr. had the, quote, freak accident on the ranch, uh, before he was set to drop the belt to Jack Briscoe, eventually dropped it to Harley race because of the accident, the buddy Rogers heart attack scenario. Same thing. I, I think that, uh, buddy probably fabricated that a little bit so that he would have a story as to why he was even dropping the championship to Bruno at the time. So there was a lot, you know, there was just so much controversy because buddy had, been the NWA champion and, and Luthez had defeated him for the title, I think in Toronto or wherever the hell that was. And then buddy was still being represented as world champion for Vince senior. And now Bruno wins the title. Uh, it was a New York play and a lot of rumor in and innuendo and all on all sides. Back in those days, man, it's like Bruno would probably till his dying breath present that when he won that, that he went out and just beat Buddy. Ah, yeah, I went out and just took it from him. It was a work. It was a work, <laughs> folks. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it was in those days. It was it was a different world. They protected the business at all, every every way they can. The rematch was set for October fourth, nineteen sixty three. Bruno and Buddy. And it was moved from Madison square garden outdoors to Roosevelt stadium in Jersey city, because they expected a record setting crowd. And obviously they're doing strong television as well, but just a few weeks shy of the show, it's announced that due to heart problems, Rogers has been pulled from the show. And now a tournament would be held on television to create a new top contender sponsored by ring magazine. And we would see monsoon destroy everyone in less than a minute including the top heel buddy Austin in the finals. So we finally get Bruno and gorilla monsoon. San Martino loses by DQ and he's bloody in the process. There's 18,000 fans here probably would have been more had it been buddy Rogers, but when body, but when Bobby, uh, or buddy pulls out that number changes, they do a rematch a couple of weeks later and they go to a double count out. But it draws another sellout at Madison Square Garden. And then finally, in November of 63, there's another sellout, and San Martino finally gets his win. And now the monsoon feud with Bruno can go on the road to towns like Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Washington, D.C. Pretty big deal. The uh the idea that a Roger San Martino rematch slides in an opportunity for Gorilla. Absolutely. And it was another one of those situations he made the most out of and those legendary to work with Bruno in the sixties and have 
more than one match with Bruno at the time, you were made. You were a top guy because you can say, hey, I worked the garden. I sold the garden out. I worked a program with Bruno. And you could write your ticket to any territory anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world for that matter. But in New York, you were made. Well, I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by the good old days here. Um, it's just weird to think about gorilla not being an older guy, but when I think about that, I I think about why I don't want to be older either. I need ageless male max. Uh, we need to bring the men of this country back to greatness. It's easier than ever. Thanks to ageless male max, because they've got a patent pending formula with an ingredient that's going to help you boost your total testosterone. That's what gorilla would want. It's going to promote greater increases in muscle size and twice the reduction in body fat percentage compared to just exercise alone. Plus an amazing 64% increase in nitric oxide, which can be handy in the gym or in the bedroom. Take your manhood to the max by trying your first 30 day bottle for free. Just pay shipping and handling. I want to be clear. You're not getting 10 days or 15 days, but a full 30 day supply. And it's absolutely free. All you've got to do is text the word Ram to 797979. You heard me. Text the word Ram, R A M, to 797979, and you're going to get your free bottle. Don't settle for anything less than a total testosterone boost. Try Ageless Male Max for free, but we do need to warn you if your results are too intense, please decrease the use. You'll figure it out. Ram, R A M, to 797979. Show the world and the little lady what a real man's made of with ageless male max message and data rates may apply. Uh, let's talk about uh, killer Kowalski because he's going to be uh, a critical part of this story early in gorilla's career, a huge man is on in his own right. Six, nine, 290 pounds. Obviously everybody knows him at this point as the legendary trainer of triple H but he's famous for ripping a motherfucker's ear off. Is he not? <laughs> yeah. Working with Yukon Eric in Montreal and as legend goes, killer Kowalski came off the top rope and ripped Yukon Eric's ear right off and was one of the most famous wrestlers all over the world. They took that, that one match and that one feud all over and drew money with it. Kowalski was a big man himself. You know, Killer Kowalski was probably six, 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 seven, and always in tremendous shape. You know, in the the interview on Patreon with Jerry Briscoe, Briscoe talks about how his education in the professional wrestling business really began and, and went to school when he spent six months in Australia working every night with Killer Kowalski. Kowalski was just an unbelievable talent, a great, he was a great heel, um, just great psychology and could do anything in the world. And plus he, he moved like a much smaller man and did a lot of things off the top rope. Um, he's also responsible for training John stud, big John stud too. And he and monsoon were great friends and traveled up and down the road and did some terrific business as well. I do. Um, I do want to talk more about him another time. Uh, I don't know when we'll talk about him again, but it feels like there'll be an opportunity if triple H ever wins a poll, which may never actually happen. Uh, let's fast forward a little bit, uh, because 
he's going to be a, a very integral part of the company for a long time. And there's rumor and innuendo that he actually has an opportunity to become invested in capital sports. Do you ever hear the story about that? Because there's a lot of different legends in wrestling, but is it true that gorilla once owned 20% of the company? Yes, it is. And it, it was during a time, you know, the old man, uh, Vince senior, he had different partners in the capital sports promotion. There was uh, wild red Barry, Phil Zacco, who was a New York, uh, guy and he promoted Philadelphia, um, a lot of different guys, Arnold Skolan, but Monsoon and Arnie and all of these guys, when Joe Toots Mont passed, they were able to buy in to the company with, with Vince. So there was a, I believe it was Arnold Skolan, Gorilla Monsoon, I think Willie Gilsenberg was tied in there somewhere, but I don't know that the Gilsenberg had a whole lot in the company. Um, but it was mainly Skolan, Monsoon and the, and the old man were the main decision makers in the business. It is just so wild when you think about, you know, if you had bought 20% of the company back then, what it might be worth now. Well, you would have gotten paid off, you know, big time with, you know, Vince's payoff in 1983 or 1984, whatever it was, because that was part of his condition that he would, if he missed one payment to anybody that they all got the company back. So he paid an exorbitant amount to all the partners. And the deal was that Vince paid them back quarterly. And the last payment was a large balloon payment due roughly 30 or 60 days after WrestleMania. So Vince gambled everything on WrestleMania, the first WrestleMania, and had it not hit, uh, things would have changed tremendously, but it hit big and he was able to pay off all those guys. And I think they all were in shock that they got every single penny that was promised them at the time. And, and it turned out to be a pretty damn good investment for them. It's some interesting to me, the dynamic that must exist because while he's an owner or former owner, he's been bought out. Now he's an employee. So senior brings him in and now junior is going to buy him out, but keep him around. So now the guy who's buying you out is sort of your boss. That's a weird dynamic for Vince and gorilla. Is it not? Well, it was and on top of that. Gorilla always looked at, at Vince as Vinny, you know, little Vinny and kind of, he was the kid. So there's that aspect to it. But one thing that Vince's father asked him was make sure that you take care of monsoon and Arnie Skolan, just make sure you take care of him. And, and Vince did till, till their dying days, made sure that they were always taken care of and made sure they were on the payroll some way, even if they didn't have a job and, and didn't come to work. He made sure that they, they got paid all the way till the end. And, and I'm sure probably to this day, he's taking care of Betty Skolan and, and, and just taking care of the families to this day. It wouldn't surprise me. Let's talk about when gorilla had an opportunity to, uh, buy into Puerto Rico 
how did you hear that all came about? And what was the relationship that he had with the Puerto Rican territory? Well, Gorilla, first of all, he liked to go to Puerto Rico and he was friends with Carlos Colon, who was the owner with, uh, Victor Javica. They owned, um, the Puerto Rican promotion and, and they promoted in the islands mainly. So monsoon loved to go to Por- Puerto Rico because it was, first of all, it was an easy trip. You made good money and you just got to stay on the Island. But, and this is all coming from gorilla monsoon to me. So this is firsthand from how Gino explained it to me was he had been going down and Carlos needed someone from the States. He, he was, you know, Carlos was only working the islands and, and he had a good relationship with different promoters all over the world to bring talent in. He had a relationship with the NWA to use their champion and the champion always loved to go down there and work the islands. But monsoon, when he heard this, he was like, well, what if I, you know, was a partner and he bought into the company. Now he never told me how much he bought into the company but it was it was a minority share that Monsoon would help him out, and Gino would go down there from time to time, would work. Even after his working days had long passed, he would still go down there and, and have a match or two because his name meant something in Puerto Rico. But it was more of a business relationship and a friendship with Carlos Colon and Victor Javica. And he, he, looked, at, uh, he looked at Carlos's one of his best friends. Uh, there was Victor Quinones who monsoon kind of looked at as a son and took care of him as well, you know, until the day he died and just always looked after, uh, Quinones and vice versa. So it was, it was just a, an appreciation of the Island and out of friendship that monsoon, uh, took a piece of that and he, he paid for it and he got, he got his money every, every year from that promotion as well. Allegedly it's uh 10% that he owned. Um, and, uh, as you said, it's probably a welcome distraction to go, you know, every now and again, down to Puerto Rico, especially if you've got, you know, your permanent residence is in the bitterly cold Northeast. And now you can pop up in the wonderful weather of Puerto Rico and work with some much smaller guys and they'll bump around for you and you don't have to. Uh, kill yourself and you make a bunch of money in the process. Yeah. And, and plus if, if it's out there on YouTube, but if you want to see one of the worst matches of all time, go look up the boxing match of gorilla monsoon versus Andre, the giant in a boxing, in a boxing match in Puerto Rico. Absolutely terrible. It is the worst thing you will ever see, but you can't look away. So, but, but it was, it was kind of a, and I'm, I'm jumping ahead here a little bit, but it was a, a relationship that became strained when Vince made his expansion and Vince wanted to take over the world and, and promote all over the world that Vince decided he wanted to go to Puerto Rico, but there was a guy by the name of Jim Troy, who was in charge of international promotions for the company for WWF. And Troy got this deal in Puerto Rico to bring the WWF over, not realizing the politics of Gorilla Monsoon 
being a part owner with Cologne and not understanding the, the politics that go along with that. So the show was booked and, and I think, uh, Vince McMahon assumed that all this had been run by gorilla. Nothing had been run by gorilla, but he was also a company guy and in gorilla. They had him booked to do play by play at the show. It was an outdoor show and they were recording it for a videotape or something. And when Monsoon gets there, he's got to go and meet with Carlos and just say, Hey, this is what we're doing. We're, we're, we're not coming in. And Carlos was pissed, but as legend has it, um, some people paid Jim Troy a visit in his hotel room when he arrived on the Island and might've hung him outside down, upside down, outside of his, outside the window of the hotel until Monsoon maybe talked some sense into people. That's as legend goes, but they, they did the show, uh, the pouring rain and monsoon and everybody, uh, had to have a plastic like ponchos, clear ponchos hovering over them while they sat out in the middle of the pouring rain, trying to call this thing, uh, with the monitors and everything. And there was a decent crowd there, but the one thing I always remember Nelson Swegler, who was Vince's production guy, was on the shoot. And he says, he goes, oh, God damn. And Bob is sitting there. Bob being gorilla. And Bob is, is chain smoking cigarettes one after the other after the other. And we're in a plastic tent. In a tent, I tell you. And it's pouring down rain. And I can't see the monitor because there's so much smoke in there. And I say, Bob, can you take it easy on the cigarettes? And he would just light more and didn't give a damn what I said. And I said, well, that's pretty much Gino. He really didn't care. But that was the, the Puerto Rican story later on of them going down. And I just always loved the story of Jimmy Troy being hung out by his ankles outside the hotel window. You know, listen, I, I don't know if you're going to shy away from this or not, but especially in that day, there were lots of rumor and innuendo around certain relationships. We touched on in our Houston episode where people thought that maybe Gina Hernandez had a, um, parental father, son relationship with Paul Bosch and cause Paul always looked out for him. And so then people started to say, Hey, is that really Paul Bosch's son? Like is Gina Hernandez, Paul Bosch's son. Well, people said the same thing about Victor Quinones and gorilla monsoon, you knew gorilla. What say you, I, I don't think so. I, you know, again, there are people that they have relationships and they get to know people and they get to take care of people, you know, through the years. Um, I, I think that it was somebody the gorilla helped at a very young age. They became friends and they helped each other all throughout their career. I heard the rumors too. I don't know. I have absolutely no way to know if there's any truth to that one way or another, knowing how gorilla was, uh, with his family. I find it fairly hard to believe, um, but you never know. I, I have absolutely no idea, but as gorilla monsoon would say, I would think it would be highly unlikely. Let's talk about the Muhammad Ali match. Lots of rumor and innuendo surrounding Muhammad Ali in professional wrestling. I think most people 
have heard about Muhammad Ali doing something with Antonio Inoki, but Gorilla Monsoon was involved in all this. Did you have extensive conversation with Gorilla about Ali? Oh God, yes, because um, Ali grew up as a wrestling fan as well, and Ali, you know, he got his rap from Gorgeous George back in the fifties and months and, um, Ali was just a huge wrestling fan. He knew all the wrestlers, man. He loved Bruno. He loved all those guys from that era and monsoon to him was this larger than life character that a boxer, even Mike Tyson, you know, they were afraid of the wrestler because they knew if the wrestler ever got you down, you were dead as good as you are with your hands. If that wrestler gets you down and they'll tie you up in a knot, there's not much you can do, especially with boxing gloves on. So this whole Antonio Inoki and Muhammad Ali match had had been made for Tokyo, Japan. The idea behind it was hopefully that they could have the match in Tokyo and maybe subsequent matches around the world. As often takes place in matches like this you got you got a guy who's a legitimate champion in his sport muhammad ali is world champion probably the greatest boxer that ever lived and he's he's the best in his sport and then you got a guy like anoki who is making a name for himself and he is in his country viewed as the best in his sport both guys have legitimate credentials so on and so forth but the the idea was to garner interest in the States. No one knew who the hell Antonio Inoki was. If you had had Muhammad Ali versus Bruno San Martino, that would have been a lot more marketable to the United States audience because people saw Bruno in magazines and, and it was the Northeast. Bruno walked on water. That would have been a lot easier to sell. So what they had to do was they had to bring Ali in to these different territories and do something with their local guy. Uh, Minneapolis, they did it with uh, Buddy Wolf, a boxer versus wrestler match, and had Ali uh, open up Buddy Wolf. In New York, they did it with Gorilla Monsoon. Well, the whole thing with with Monsoon and Ali was, was Monsoon's whole thing is you're not going to embarrass me. You're not going to humiliate me. And Ali gets in and Ali's doing his shit, doing his shit. And then Monsoon, just to let him know that I can take you anytime I want to, went and got in and and they knew. But I think that the idea was, was that uh, Monsoon was going to pick him up and drop him down. And Monsoon did the airplane spin. Boudini Brown on the outside of the ring. He was Ali's manager and spiritual advisor, whatever the hell he was. Well, they all got, they didn't know. So they're all upset. Not everybody was smartened up. So Monsoon does this airplane spin, drops Ali, and Ali's dizzy. And it was um, it was picked up by everybody. All the newscasts had it. I mean, I remember seeing it as a kid in Houston on the news. This happened to Muhammad Ali. So they put Fred Blassie with Muhammad Ali to teach him the wrestling end of things. Um, if anybody thinks that the the Ali Inoki match was a shoot in any way, shape or form. It, it became a shoot to a point 
but that it was, it was always designed to be a work. Well, and some of that's probably because I'll lead. Well, we'll talk about it another time. I, I do want to mention that at the time, the mega star power that Ollie had cannot be overstated. Can it not? The, he was probably the most famous athlete in the world. Second only to the American dream, dusty Rhodes. I mean, seriously, it's probably the Pope and then him and the whole world, right? Yes. And that's folks. That's not an exaggeration. I know it sounds silly. I know. I know it sounds ridiculous, but you got to remember this is before cable. And so, you know, you, people would listen to fights on the radio and it was appointment radio at the time. And then Ali's on there all the time with Howard Cosell. And, you know, they knew that this guy was ratings back before that was really even a thing. They just knew that he was super popular and people loved him on the show. And so he became a regular and he used that vehicle to promote and in a weird way. I mean, he became the biggest icon in sports and entertainment. I mean, he's the absolute biggest and the idea that, uh, gorilla once twirled him around in an airplane spin is yes. pretty they remarkable. Had, they had a program. I don't you, You're probably too young to remember. You remember wide world of sports. Yeah. Okay. So the wide world of sports was on Saturday afternoon on ABC. Howard Cosell was the sports, a sports guy for ABC. He did Monday night football. He did all the boxing events. You didn't have pay-per-view in the seventies, very little closed circuit, even, um, were few and far between. So when there were big boxing matches and Ali would defend, these were all recorded to be shown on Saturday afternoon, usually about three weeks after the fight. And that was appointment television. You know, everybody, you knew the outcome, but you wanted to see the fight. So this was another way you used Ali's name and anything that Ali did got media, got attention. So this was a way to promote the Inoki fight. And if something got done to Ali, that was big news. And it was reported everywhere and everybody knew about it. Well, because it's a, it's a, you know, a traditional, I mean, even back then, even though a lot of people still believed uh, a certain part of the audience maybe thought wrestling was different, uh, but a, a quote unquote real athlete like Muhammad Ali would have everybody talking. And I think everybody's going to be talking after tonight at come hell or high water because Tom Lawler, former UFC fighter is going to be right here in Atlanta, wearing it out and Penelope Ford's there, Eddie Kingston, Simon Grimm, but I think the main event is Pentagon and Ray Phoenix. Uh, taking on, uh, Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian of SCU and that little prick MJF is there and hopefully Scorpio sky beats the shit out of him. Uh, tickets are on sale now at Eventbrite. Just look up come hell or high water. And I want to mention, uh, Glacier, uh, the fucking Yete. Is this real life? It's happening tonight in Atlanta. See you there looking up in Eventbrite, come hell or high water. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, the gorilla position. And, and how that position came to be and how, why it was named that and what gorilla's role was back then. Cause obviously the position and its responsibilities have certainly changed as technology has changed and the business has changed. How did you hear that it first came to be? And was that what it was called in Texas when you were breaking in or was it always a New York phrase? 
it was a New York phrase. Um, in mid South, it was the Q man. I was the Q man. <laughs> a lot of times in Houston, Paul would cue guys from ringside while he did commentary in mid South for television. I would sit ringside and I would give the cues at ringside. So the gorilla position was a little bit different in New York in that it was the last bastion that the talent right before they went out. So the, the curtains right there, right before you went out, there was gorilla monsoon at the table telling you, okay, you got five minutes, um, gone out. If you go over, I'm going to kill you. If you look back on some old shows from the Capitol wrestling days, you can actually see gorilla when guys would go over their time, walk to the ring, slap the mat and yell at the guys with the stopwatch around his neck. And you'd see gorilla monsoon in the middle of the match, yelling at him going, go home, damn it, go home. And you didn't have the luxury of editing. So people are wondering what the hell's gorilla monsoon doing at the ring, yelling at these guys. And why is he telling them to go home? You had no idea. But the the thing was, was Gorilla was at last point. He gave the cues. He would let the timekeeper know. Um, in the early days, before headsets and all that other shit, if you saw Monsoon in the aisle, that meant go home. So it would be like Gorilla would walk out with a minute left to go on the match. The guys would see Gorilla. The referee would see Gorilla in the aisleway. They'd start going home. So it was... It was named the gorilla position because gorilla was always there. Cause like go see gorilla and just became the gorilla position. So when I started in 1987 and I went to the WWF, that's where I learned about the gorilla position. And to me, it's never been anything but that. Let's, um, let's talk a little bit about the first time that you met gorilla. Well, first, first time was, was in 87 when I went up to Worcester, Massachusetts and Joel Watts and I went up, I had the honor of meeting gorilla monsoon right before the production meeting scared to death because monsoon is an intimidating son of a bitch. Uh, but he was class all the way, uh, made sure that we were taken care of, asked if we needed rides, but he was extremely nice and also took the time to kind of show us the ropes when we would be standing there looking around, not knowing what the hell to do or where to go. Gorilla would come along and say, what do you need? What are you doing? And, and help you along. He was that kind of a guy. And, and that was the way that he was with me. Just a warm hearted, gigantic teddy bear that, was one of the greatest people I've ever, ever known in my lifetime. I want to mention that he retired, uh, in 1979. Um, he announced that if he lost a match in Philadelphia, he would retire, but he, he did in fact lose that match and never wrestled again, but he did make a couple of appearances. If you want to call it that, uh, but never in Philadelphia, uh, he would you know, be in an early match with, uh, Hulk Hogan and his run in 80 back before Hulkamania took over. And even years later in like 87, he did an old timers battle Royal with Luthez 
Did you ever, that's a weird sentence to say, is it not? Did you ever have a conversation with gorilla? Was he, yeah, that's a weird sentence to say, was he pretty beat up from his years in the ring? Was he hurting or, or did he retire in a, in a way where he was still able to enjoy himself? He was still able to enjoy himself. He had bad knees and bad back, but it, it was not as bad as some guys monsoon retired on his terms. He was go. tired of, of, he was tired of taking bumps. Want to spend more time with the family. He was an owner. So he looked at it as an opportunity to, to live and enjoy, you know, his riches now. And monsoon tells a story about after his last match, driving over the George Washington bridge and throwing his gear and his bag out the window over the George Washington bridge. So I think that, I guess that goes over the Hudson river there in New York and not as spectacular, but when I had done an appearance in Galveston, Texas, just down the street here, I was so frustrated after doing the appearance with my brother love stuff that I threw it over into Galveston Bay in honor of gorilla monsoon. So I said, this is it. No more brother love. He's dead. I'm never wearing this shit again. See how that worked out. Well, just one time that I know of. Yeah. Maybe I had to buy all new shit. Maybe one of the reasons that, uh, gorilla monsoon is a success story is because of what you said, he got to enjoy his riches and you can enjoy your riches. Uh, with Robinhood, it's an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, cryptos, and you do it all commission free while other brokerages are charging up to $10 for every single trade. Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees. You can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started and you can start investing at any level. The simple intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. So view the easy to understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections such as the 100 most popular. And with Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market. As you build your portfolio, you'll discover new stocks, trade your favorite companies and get custom notifications for price movements. So you never miss the right moment to invest. And now Robinhood is giving the listeners here of something to wrestle a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. I said free stock, y'all. What are you waiting on? Go sign up right now at wrestle.robinhood.com. I want to give that to you again. It's a free stock, man. Come on. Wrestle.robinhood.com. Let's talk about stock here because Meltzer would write, Morello was eventually bought out by Vince McMahon Jr. in 1982. In return, he got a 10 year contract, which gave him an announcing job and one and a half times preliminary money on every WWF house show, even though he'd never had to leave his home, which turned out to be a very lucrative deal when the WWF was running close to 1000 shows per year. If you figure preliminary wrestlers in that era were doing $2,000 a week, figure one and a half times that multiplied by three house shows a night. And he realized that he had huge money years after selling the company when Titan flourished in its eighties heyday. Wow. That's a lot of money. Gorilla did very, very well. Wrestling was very, very good to him. Uh, um, yeah, Vince, you know, little man asked him to take care of, uh, gorilla and, and Arnie. Now 
you know, they weren't staying home. They were, they were on the road. They were working as road agents during that time and they worked hard and they traveled an awful lot. But, and here was the thing about traveling with gorilla monsoon. A lot of guys will go in to the town and you know, the boys are going to go in there. going to want to go work out and eat somewhere and get to the building and then find the bar at night and drink all night and wake up the next morning, go to the next town. Monsoon would look up, um, you didn't have internet. You didn't have all that crap then, but Monsoon would look up and do research on every city he would go to. What, what were the hot spots? What were the things that made that city unique? And as soon as gorilla would get into town, he would go and investigate. He would, when he came to Houston, he went to in Houston at the time had this large pottery, uh, store in Pasadena, Texas. And as soon as Gorilla got to town, he called me and says, okay, come pick me up. We're going to go to this place in Pasadena, Texas. I want to get some pottery. And he walked around for two hours just buying shit and had its clay pots <laughs> and had it sent back to New Jersey. Um, it, he was crazy, but he go to San Diego. Monsoon went to SeaWorld. So he, he enjoyed his time on the road, made the most out of it. But I think after a while, it took its toll. And when he started doing a lot of the announcing and hosting the television shows for cable, that's when he started to slow down. But he still was going out and making the major towns and, and doing a lot of the footwork for Vince. Still an incredible amount of money. In 85, he starts to announce, and he's doing it with Jesse Ventura. And this is probably the first time... I mean, I don't know, I mean, maybe not, but I don't know of were there heel announcers before this feels like the first time there was a baby face heel announcer, certainly on a big stage, right? Well, the, uh, really the first one I ever remember was Gordon Soley and Roddy Piper. Oh, there you go. In, in WTBS back in the day. However, you know, I think Jesse was the first major heel announcer for WWF and on a larger national scale. But yeah, they were, they were the first in a big, big way. And they call, you know, five of the first six WrestleManias together, uh, which is pretty incredible. And they commentate on all the pay-per-views with the exception of the first two summer slams and the 1990 Royal rumble. Um, what do you remember about, gorilla and Jesse's relationship. Were they good? I know that, you know, at different times, Jesse didn't always get along so well with Vince. Yeah, they were good. And for the most part, I don't remember anybody that gorilla had a bad relationship with in, in any way. I think that there were some guys gorilla would probably not want to be around. So he just didn't, didn't hang out. Monsoon wasn't a big drinker. So he didn't go to the bars at night. He didn't hang out with the boys for the most part. He would come back and go to his room, maybe have a beer, but he, he just wasn't that big party guy and he was different. But as far as he and Jesse, great relationship from everything I know, it was before my time for them to work together other than at pay-per-views and they, they loved it. Uh, Jesse was so relaxed with gorilla. He would even call him Gino on air. A lot of times and people would go, who the fuck is Gino? But 
they had a very good relationship, and I thought they were a great a great tag team on air too. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody would dispute that it's one of the the all time great pairings. I know Gorilla worked with uh, Tony Schiavone a little bit. How do you think uh, they worked together, and what do you think Gorilla thought of Tony? Uh, I know what he did. He he liked Tony, and see, Monsoon never felt threatened. Right. I think that Monsoon looked at it. If there was a new guy coming in to do commentary, less work for him, more time at home in the latter years. And Monsoon relished that opportunity to train the new guy because it it just meant less work for him. If all gorilla had to do was come in and do prime time with Bobby, he would have been ecstatic. The, the challenge voiceovers and all of the cable stuff that could be a little a little wearing on him from time to time. So for Shivani to come in, when Sean Mooney came in, these were young guys that wanted to learn, and Monsoon was the first one to say, hey, let me tell you how it's done here, and I'll help you, and I'll work with you. He took the time to do it, and he got along with everybody at the studio. He was one of the guys in the studio. Um he just was, he was like that grandfather that everybody loved. Best way to describe him. Let's, um, let's talk a little bit about when Ventura leaves in mid 90, he's replaced in commentary by monsoon's primetime wrestling co-host Bobby Heenan. What did you like better gorilla and Bobby or gorilla and Jesse? Uh, I'll take grill and Bobby every day, twice on Sunday. They had a genuine love for one another. Bobby was so great and monsoon. It was, it was easy. And monsoon took to that stereotypical baby face play by play role. And Bobby took to that weasel. They were just great fodder for one another and nobody ever took anything personal. They never rehearsed a thing. It was just like, okay, what do you want to talk about? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? Uh, and they would go. It's kind of like you and I. We don't talk about shit before we go on the air. We just go. Uh, that's the way that the gorilla and Bobby were. I would give them a run sheet and I would give them ideas. Here's what we're going into and what we're coming out of. Hit this, hit that. They figured out everything else. So as far as producing gorilla and Bobby, day off. Cause all I had to do was format. I, I didn't really have to produce them that much. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, what changed, if anything, between gorilla's relationship with Vince as time went on, was he, um, you know, people often talk about the undertaker, like he's sort of the locker room leader was gorilla sort of, uh, I don't know, a Lieutenant. Or was he more one of the boys? And did that ever change? Well, when Vince started his expansion, Gorilla a lot of times was the first guy that he would send in. If there was ever any uh, thought of this may go awry or somebody may want to not do business or um, it could be iffy, you sent Monsoon. It was no nonsense. He would take care of whatever problem that there was, and there would never really be an issue. So there was a huge trust factor there with Vince and Gorilla. 
in that he was very comfortable with Monsoon being that guy and being the face of the company a lot of times out on the road. And Monsoon didn't take shit from anybody. And I don't know that anybody ever ever would have even considered trying him either. But he had that reputation, and he just had that presence, if you know what I mean. You know, he walks into a room, he owned the room. And there was a respect there that no one, I never saw anybody disrespect Monsoon or be an asshole to him in, in any way, shape, or form. He just commanded that kind of respect with people. And he did it in a classy way by showing respect to people. Can you give me an example of gorilla's leadership? Well, I, I think that the boy, the best way to do it is when gorilla came down for Houston, the first time that I worked with gorilla. Okay. Gorilla Vince sent gorilla down to check out what we had there in Houston and give his report and his suggestions. So Monsoon knew that I was the liaison and we worked together. But when it came time for even, even Paul Bosch, when it came time for that show, Monsoon just took over in a way that nobody was going to dispute it. Um, Randy Savage, one of the funniest things, Randy Savage was working with Honky Tonk Man and Monsoon is laying out the match. And it wasn't blow by blow, but he, he says, he goes, all right, Randy he goes, then you make your comeback. Why don't you hit him with a couple drop kicks? And Savage like, uh, uh, ain't going to happen. I don't drop kick. Uh, I'll hit him with an elbow. And it's like, great, Randy, you do what you do, you know, but it was Monsoon just took over. So you, you think about that and, and then I'll, I'll go fast forward to the early nineties during the time that Vince was busy with the steroid trial and what have you. Pat Patterson and I were writing TVs for the most part by ourselves. We would run it by Vince, but then we would go to TV without Vince. Pat and I would run the production meetings and we would run, run the television. Normally for a production meeting, Vince McMahon sits at the head table and he would read the matches and tell the stories. Well, now Vince isn't there. Who's going to do it? Well, who, who should do it? Pat Patterson should do it. He's the older guy. He's got tenure. He's everybody, you know, loves Pat, respects Pat. And Pat just had this fear of public speaking and, and wouldn't do it. He's like, Brucey, because it's your show. You wrote it. You know, you do it. And on the, the fear and intimidation of having to sit in that room with the likes of Chief J. Strongbow. Jack Lanza, George the Animal Steel, and Gorilla Monsoon and have to explain to them what we're going to do tonight. It was surreal for me, but just so intimidating. The reason I bring that up is because after I was done with the first one and like you talk about sweat rings, I was soaked. My shirt just with nervous sweat, I was soaked because I was just so nervous and intimidated by all these guys. Monsoon was the first one to come up and tell me I did a great job and basically endorse me 
in front of the whole room. Once Monsoon did that, everybody else followed. But it sure as hell wasn't going to be Chief Jay Strongbow to come up and do it or Jim Myers. But Monsoon did, and Monsoon did it in front of everybody right at the end of the meeting the first time. And I was like, but that's, that's the kind of weight he carried and the sway he had in class. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about his real life friendship with Bobby, the brain Heenan, their relationship was gold. And anybody who saw them perform together knows that. And even when Bobby Heenan went to the hall of fame, said he wished gorilla was there are they uh the most prolific comedic duo in wrestling history do you think yes yes i I don't think anyone will ever touch them and even if someone does they'll say they're the best since bobby and gorilla the one of the saddest moments in my life was gorilla's funeral at the end of the, at the end of the funeral, they did the service and we're out at the gravesite, and everybody goes to walk in and Bobby was still sitting at the gravesite. There was, uh, some press there and, and TV people and all this stuff. And, and Bobby, I remember waiting on him and he says, he goes, just give me a minute. So I walked away and Bobby was at the gravesite by himself and, and he was pretty upset and it just was so surreal, but all these, these press people had no regard for, for that love and for that friendship and for, for that moment. And they're still snapping their pictures and taking video. And when Bobby was done, uh, Oh my God, he just laid into him. And finally the, the security came and got everybody off, but it, it was just a, yeah, they, they were as close as, as two people could be. And they loved each other like brothers and, you know, took care of each other. It was, it was so sad when Bobby went to WCW for gorilla and for Bobby for them to leave each other. So it was, um, it was a very unique relationship and just full of love and for, for everybody. It, It was to Jessica, Bobby's daughter, you know, he was uncle gorilla and, you know, same thing, Bobby, they were a part of each other's, each other's lives and their families. They vacationed together and they were, they were always around and loved one another. It's uh pretty cool that Monsoon got to call the first eight WrestleManias, 85 to 92. He's the lead commentator on the syndicated show, WWF all-star wrestling and its successor wrestling challenge. And of course the USA network weekend show, all American wrestling co-hosted the Monday night show, primetime wrestling, and even served as the co-host of Georgia championship wrestling on WTBS during McMahon's short lived ownership of that promotion. Uh, what do you think of all these shows that he hosted was involved with? He enjoyed the most primetime with Bobby. 
Uh, if he, if all he could have done was prime time with Bobby, he would have been ecstatic. I loved all the gorilla isms, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the winners and losers purse jam packed to the rafters. Will you stop? I mean, there's so many, you know, pandemonium cut the electricity with a knife places gone bananas, you know, and then when he's describing the different body parts, you know, uh, the kisser or the bread basket, or, uh, he may have temporarily dislocated the patella. It's just, and then of course, when the finish came, you know, uh, stick a fork in him, he's done. What a great, you know, set of phrases. And that's really sort of the mark of, you know, a good radio DJ or a good promo. And the rock says, and that's the bottom line. Let me tell you something, mean gene, you know, you've got all those. And, and certainly JR has them a generation later, but man, gorilla was like, and maybe I'm a Homer, maybe I'm just the right age, but it feels like gorilla was really the first guy who did all that stuff in wrestling, at least for me. He did. And he, he was over the top with it all. I remember <laughs> you would have an announcement, for example, at WrestleMania, 93,173 people. And right after the announcements made, you'd go to monsoon. They're packed in the rafters over a hundred thousand here, Jess. <laughs> like they just announced 93,000, you know? <laughs> is that not good enough? You know, the garden would go from being 18,000 plus to 25,000 here tonight, folks, 30,000. And they're outside still waiting to get in. Um, he was the master of the over-exaggeration, but he could get, he could get away with it. It was gorilla monsoon. He did get away with it. And, and eventually, you know, it, Came to an end. His last, he stepped down as the league commentator at WrestleMania nine and Jr. who we mentioned replaced him there. And he was moved to the wrestling challenge with Bobby Heenan and then all American wrestling with Lord Alfred Hayes on April 11th, 1993. And he commentated with Jr. on WWF radio for the broadcasts of SummerSlam 93, um, survivor series 93 and Royal rumble 94. Sometimes, um, JR gets a bad rap about being difficult to deal with. Uh, and it's never an easy spot when one guy takes another guy's spot. How did gorilla handle that? And what was his relationship like with JR? Well, again, I think that gorilla looked at it as less for him to do. Plus Gino's health was really not good at that time. So he was looking to be less on the road have a little less responsibility. It was hard. He couldn't drive at night anymore. So he would have to stay over wherever he was and he would, he would get up and drive during the day. So those, the commutes were a little more laborious for him and, um, he welcomed it. I, I think he was relieved when Jr. came in because he felt that, okay, Vince has somebody that can fill that slot and, I can relax a little bit now. He wasn't, he wasn't a guy to hold a grudge. He wasn't a guy to, he, he was exactly the opposite. Okay, great. Let's go make it work. 
He returned to the television broadcast team for King of the Ring 94 with Randy Savage and Art Donovan. Uh, how frustrated was Gorilla working with Art that night? It feels like it comes through the show. It was, it, I, you know what? I really and truly think that his frustration was more with Randy than it was Art Donovan because I think Gorilla looked at Art Donovan. He knew what he had in Art Donovan. Art didn't have a clue. And Monsoon wanted to have fun with it. Savage was more upset with Donovan not having a clue about anything. And Monsoon's frustration was more with Randy trying to cover art stuff instead of just letting Monsoon kind of direct traffic. He had a hard time directing traffic because uh, Savage wasn't, wasn't savvy enough at that time on commentary. Randy was new to commentary at that time. So it was, it resulted in the all time worst commentary on any major show in history. What do you, um, what do you think gorilla missed more in ring action or the commentary stuff? Oh boy. Um, I don't know because he was so con- he was content not wrestling anymore. He loved working with Bobby. He he loved the banter back and forth on primetime. He loved coming in and doing that. Um I think that when that went away, that was the hardest thing for him really to accept. But um, I don't think he ever regretted being out of the ring. I don't think he missed doing play-by-play all the time. But I do think he missed doing primetime with Bobby. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the times he had to fill in for Vince. Because there are a handful of Raws in 93 and 94 where it feels like Vince is unavailable. And he fills in and and he does the same thing very sporadically on challenge from 93 to 95. And he would find himself working with Jr. or DiBiase or even Stan Lane. How did all that come about? And, and was he always just sort of on deck whenever you needed him? He was, he was our utility guy. He became whenever there was someone new, put him with monsoon and monsoon's going to show him the ropes, teach him how to get in and get out, tell their story and, and be done. So that was, that was teaching time and monsoon was, was good at it. So he was on deck. He was the utility guy and he didn't mind that. He didn't mind it at all because it kind of, it kept him involved. We didn't, at that time, it wasn't like he had to come to the studio every week. He would come in maybe once a month. So it was a whole lot less work and he got to work with different people and younger guys and he enjoyed it. I think that he was waiting for the days to just sit at home and just kind of be with, uh, his family and chill out. Uh, he of course did, uh, various work for Coliseum video, all the you know home video releases, VHSs and whatnot. His last pay-per-view where he did commentary is the 94 survivor series. And he did that with Vince McMahon. And then he became the storyline president in the summer of 95, where he would replace Jack Tunney. Why was he the perfect guy to become WWF president? Respect. There was not, I don't think that there was anybody 
in the audience that could say, ah, fuck Gorilla Monsoon. He had tenure. He had respect from the audience. He had respect from the talent. So people knew him and it wasn't a, you know, Jack Tunney, our figurehead president for so many years was just a figurehead. And that's what he was. Monsoon, they believed had stroke. So it was the credibility of his entire career that people believed him and they accepted him and took his word with him being the president. I thought that was one of the best roles for him other than obviously primetime. Let's talk a little bit about, um, the rumble 96, because the night after Vader attacks him and takes him off TV, it was a big angle. Was he up for that? He was, and it was, we were looking at who we could get heat on that we could get. Well, not so much. Even heat is sympathy. And Gorilla Monsoon was everybody's father. Everybody's grandfather had never been touched on television. And, you know, since his wrestling days. So it was a way to get Vader over to get people to hate Vader. And the way to do that is to attack one of the most beloved figures in the business. I mean, no arguing that it certainly worked and got him over. Uh, after that, Piper became the interim president until WrestleMania 12, when gorilla assumes the position again, but health concerns would force him to relinquish the role in summer of 97. And instead of naming a replacement, you guys decided to retire the role of president and then introduce Sergeant Slaughter instead as the WWF commissioner in August of 97. So your last on-air president was Gorilla Monsoon, which is a pretty cool little thing of note. Um, what was going on with Gorilla in the summer of 97 when he needed to take a break? You know, when uh, Gorilla's son, Joey Morella, passed away in a, a horrible car accident. Um, yeah, I guess, we, I guess we should touch on that. You know, I was going to save it for the end because I thought you might get upset, but we'll just do it I now. Will. <laughs> uh, Gorilla's uh, son is referee Joey Morella, who many of us remember, you know, from the early days. I remember him like it was yesterday in, in WrestleMania 6. I don't know why that sticks out so much. But I think a lot of people don't know the, the true nature of their relationship. Joey passed away in a car accident on the 4th of July, 1994. And I can't imagine how hard that must've been. Tell everybody about Joey and gorilla's real life relationship. And then talk a little bit about the car accident and how you heard about it and found out about it and how the company came to know about it. And most importantly, how it affected gorilla. Well, uh, Joey was. Gino's wife, Maureen's son and gorilla adopted him after uh, he and Maureen were married. So gorilla raised Joey as his son. They were, you know, they were very close. Joey had uh, a great college baseball career could have gone pro and, uh, just fucked around and fucked up his shoulder and couldn't do it. So he, he ended up in the wrestling end of things as a referee. So, um, man, we had, we had just done, we were on the beach, I think ocean city, something like that. Um, or maybe I don't, I really don't know. All I remember I was with Shane McMahon. We 
we left television and we drove back to Connecticut. We got back into Connecticut about five o'clock in the morning. And I went home, dropped, we went to the office, got in our cars. I went home. By the time I got home, uh, Shane called me and says, Hey, um, got some bad news. So what's that? He says, mm, Joey's gone. So Joey, what are you, what are you talking about? And he says, Joey Morelli, he's gone. Um, he was in a car accident and we lost him. We just fuck. And Joey was the last person that we said goodbye to, you know, at the end of the night, everybody's there and just, you know, he's say your goodbyes. And, and, um, so that's how I found out it was, um, that was the shits. I called gorilla. All this is now it's I'm pr- probably six o'clock in the morning. I called Gorilla. Uh, he answered. And he was a mess. Um, just told him I loved him and, you know, sorry. He, um, you know, w- w- the God, you know, it just, he was so young. It, it was just so sad. Those are the dangers of the road. You know, it, it's, it just sucks. But that, that moment, that moment changed Gino going forward. There was such a big part of him that was missing going forward. And I think that a lot of the, the mental health of Bob Morella, a big piece of him died the day Joey died. And I don't know that, you know, that it just, it just was missing. It was just, it just was missing. Um, at the funeral, he just didn't want us to leave. We, we all went over to the house afterwards and, um, Gorilla had a, had a plaque on his, on his wall from a, saying that this room was built by Bull Ramos. Bull Ramos was an old wrestler that they always used to play cards in the dressing room, and Monsoon used to kill him at cards. And so when he invited Bull over to his new house and had this big, huge game room built, he set it up so that Bull could see the the plaque on the wall. And Ramos was just livid. But um, I just remember that that day and and – he, uh, because it was just Shane and I, I remember Vince couldn't go to the funeral because of the trial and it was just Shane and I, it was just so hard to leave him. But that was, that was the moment. That was the moment that in a lot of ways he gave up. He was diabetic and he just wasn't taking care of himself like he should have. And I think he stopped caring in a lot of respects. So it was, it was difficult, but he, at the same time, you know, he, he just wanted to spend time with his friends. So he and Arnold Skolan and, and Betty Skolan, they, they would always uh, spend weekends together. Monsoon, here, uh, this is a good one. Um, Monsoon, when I asked my wife to marry me, I, 
we, my brother Tom was in Reading, Pennsylvania for ECW and I went to go pick him up. And then we met gorilla in Atlantic city and he had the whole thing set up for me and beautiful suite at Caesars and dinner. And I got to propose to my wife and he, he and Maureen were a big part of that. And, um, would always, I mean, it seemed like every other weekend he would be like you and Stephanie come to Atlantic city with us. And it was, it, it was weird because <laughs> it was usually me and Steph and, and gorilla Maureen and Arnold Scolan and his wife, Betty. And there was a little bit of an age gap there, but, um, uh, I, I loved, I loved going to the casino with monsoon. It was, he was a guy who taught me, you want to win money, you got to bet money. And, uh, I watched him bet a lot of money, lose a lot of money, win a lot of money, but he was, uh, he was in his element in, in the casino and yeah, his health just started to slip. Uh, what's the most you ever saw him lose in a single sitting? Um, let's see. Well, probably about $70,000. And the most you ever saw him win? Most I ever witnessed him win was probably about 50. How did and he, I, uh, how did he win the 50? How did he lose the 70? Oh, all blackjack, just blackjack. Not in hey. one hand, but in a sitting. No, right? in a setting. No, I'm, I'm in a sitting. I'm talking over several hours. Sure. Yeah. This was, he would sit in the high rollers, you know, deal table by himself. He would play three or four hands on blackjack and, uh, you know, each, each game he would have, you know, three or four, he would bet on and he just sat there by himself and would play nonstop until Maureen would come and tell him it was time to go eat. That's did he ever, uh, do it to a point where he got himself in some financial tight times. Um, I don't know that it was ever like any dire financial times, but I, I know that he, he bet a lot of money. He up I, until I just say that because a lot of guys who bet big like that, they, they live on a bit of a roller coaster. You know, they have high, real highs and some, some real lows. Yeah. He saved his money though. He gorilla was smart with his money, he saved his money. His house was paid for everything was paid for, but, um, Man, he, he loved to gamble it. Uh, and I say up until his last days, he was calling the guys at the studio saying, is there anything going on tonight? Anything you can get some action on? He just wanted action on something. Is there, is there an over and under is Vince coming in today? What time's he scheduled? Okay. Is there a bet on the over and under what time he'll be there? I mean, he just wanted to bet on something. We would organize card games when Monsoon was staying over and stuff. And he, he loved to sit there and play poker with all the guys. And he didn't, he didn't care about the amount because I think we had a $25 limit or something and he didn't care about that. He just wanted to play. He just wanted, wanted the action. So he was, he was definitely addicted to that. That's that goes without saying. His final appearance, uh, I think most people know the last time we fans saw him was WrestleMania 15 
he was one of the three judges for a fight between Bart Gunn and Butterbean. And when he's introduced, Gorilla received a standing ovation. And maybe most famously in 99 is when they started to run that old attitude commercial where they would show clips of Freddie Blassie and Ernie Ladd and Pat Patterson and Killer Kowalski. You've told us before here on the show, Vince's favorite commercial in the history of WWE, right? Yes. Cause it had all the legends and it, it just, it, it pulled at the heartstrings, man. It's, uh, it's, it's tough to watch today. It's hard to imagine that he passed away as young as he did October 6, 1999 at his home in Mooresville, New Jersey, only 62 years old, which is very, very young. Um, Meltzer would write Morella had been in poor health and nearly passed away more than one year ago, but made a strong recovery. His condition took a turn for the worst after a mild heart attack on September 19th, causing complications from diabetes to worsen. Those close to him noted that he went out like a man's man and that he would have been able to stay alive, being constantly hooked up to a pacemaker to regulate his heartbeat and on kidney dialysis. But rather than live out his life, being unable to leave the house as a house vegetable, as he termed it. He made the call that it was time to quote unquote, check out about 10 days before his death. He took himself off the dialysis and died a slow death. He came home on the afternoon of October 5th, largely to die in peace after being hospitalized in Philadelphia. Uh, his wife, Maureen had been with him for more than 40 years and they had three children, Sharon born in 60, Joey born in 63 and Valerie born in 66. And for whatever reason, uh, Victor Canones was listed in his obituary as well. Never officially confirmed by gorilla, but the Morella family acknowledged, uh, Victor as part of their family. And he went in the hall of fame, of course, before he passed away way back in June of 94, but his legacy is bigger than a television show or a hall of fame because he lives on in the hearts and minds of all of us who grew up with his voice. And I mean, who could forget some of the iconic calls and our favorite memories? A lot of them, he was the soundtrack for that. And you know, the irresistible force and the immovable object and so many iconic lines. Um, you know, I hate to be that guy, but did you have a chance to say goodbye to gorilla? What was your last conversation with? Gino like I did. And, um, you know, my, I said, monsoon was there when I asked my wife to marry me, he was at my wedding, uh, he and Maureen and I have, I have friends of mine, uh, that were also at the wedding that fell in love with Bob Morella that night because he sat next to them and made them feel like they were all just the best of friends and like they had known each other forever. Um, that's just the kind of guy he was. He, um, when I had my kids, you know, um, he just was, was a part of so many special moments in my life. And when we knew he, he did make the decision, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna die, uh, or I'm not gonna stay alive and not be able to live life. Bobby, there, there were a couple times 
uh, long before that Gino had lost a toe due to diabetes. And uh, Bobby would always call him, hey, you eight-toed ape, and shit like that, just to, to keep everything light. And uh, when uh, probably, because last time I, I spoke to him, he was in the hospital, and we said goodbye because he knew. And uh, to To me, that was when I, you know, that that's when he was gone. When he said goodbye that day, um, he whispered it. Told him I loved him. He said, "Love me. Take care of Steph and the kids." And he just, you know, uh, you think of the, you know, you think of the old farts. And those old guys, and some of them could be assholes. Never was an asshole to anybody. And I'm crying like a bitch right now. Uh, he just was so remarkable in so many ways and personified class. I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever saw him get mad. And lose his temper. He had a he had a diamond diamond ring that said Gino, big son of a bitch. We were at uh, Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. He went in to wash his hands and came back to the table and says, "Oh shit, I left my ring." And went right back, and and someone had already gotten it, and uh, he just came back to the table and like nothing happened. I would be going nuts. Uh, he just, oh, well, somebody got it. Hope they get some good money for it. Loved him. He was uh, a friend and um, just a great, great man. And I think he'll go, he'll go down as one of the most important people in, in the wrestling business. He was, he was just such a huge, huge part of it in so many ways for so many years. And, uh, I love him. And we love him too. Gorilla monsoon will live forever in the wrestling business, but most importantly in our memories. And it's pretty cool that, uh, everywhere in wrestling. Now they refer to a certain spot of the arena as the gorilla position. What a legacy and, he left. Yeah. And you talk about that Conrad. I remember because I had done it for so long. One day the, the crew guys put instead of the gorilla position, they put the love position. And I, I went ballistic. I was like, that will never be anything else but the gorilla position. And and I hope that that legacy lives on and on forever and ever. And I, you know, in WCW called it the go position. When I went to TNA, I made it the gorilla position. And, yeah, by God, that's the gorilla position. It will be forever. It absolutely will. And, uh, we thank everybody for joining us today on a, 
a pretty emotional gorilla monsoon tribute episode, uh, gone, but not forgotten. And, uh, hopefully you guys, uh, enjoyed today's show. If you've got some questions, we'd love to uh, answer them for you later this week on Patreon, probably time to wrap it up now. Uh, but join Bruce and uh, ask him some questions about his favorite Geno memories or post them on our Facebook, facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle. Uh, next week, we're going to be, uh, dealing with something a little more fun, a little more interesting. St. Valentine's day massacre went down with, uh, Vince McMahon inside of a steel cage against stone cold, Steve Austin on top, but it wound up being a pretty big show. Pardon the pun, because we would see a debut of one, Mr. Paul white in the most interesting way possible. And the week after that, we're bringing you no way out 2004, the crowning moment for Eddie Guerrero. So no polls today, uh, but we will have polls for you next week. Uh, for the following week after no way out, but next week it's all about St. Valentine's day massacre. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in this week and, uh, we'll see you next week right here on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. I guess we need to thank our sponsor ageless male max before we get out of here. Uh, they've got a patent pending formula with an ingredient that helps you boost your total testosterone. And, uh, that's probably something we all need right now. It's going to promote greater increases in your muscle size and twice the reduction in body fat percentage than just exercise alone. But here's the real kicker, 64% increase in nitric oxide. This is going to come in handy in the gym or the bedroom. And these dudes at Ageless Mail Max are hooking you up, man. You're getting your first 30 day bottle for free. You just pay the shipping and handling and you're getting the first 30 day bottle for free. Why wouldn't you just try it? Try it right now. When you text the word Ram, that's R A M to 797979. Text the word Ram right now to 797979. Message and data rates apply. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.